always strive, never be content. Because that's what it is. That's what, if you had to boil down the motto of civilization, never be content. It has got to be at least an approximation of it. Always go for more, always push harder. And we've come to think of this as noble, even as a sense, because it gives us a sense of justification for why we push ourselves towards these goals where we have had enough, but why do we persist? Because it's never enough. Well, that could be the overall motto that seeped into the minds of all of us that have subscribed to this theory of civilization. And the reason behind that is because civilization sees this as the tool for our own survival. Welcome to B-Side Conversations, the podcast that brings the other side of reality from the black and brown folks that live it every day. You see us, but do you know our stories? You hear our perspective, but where does it come from? You are us, but maybe you think you're the only one. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall, and I'm so glad you're listening. Sit back and open your mind's eye to a new way of experiencing the world on the B-Side. All right, so like making the making the transition from hunter gathering to uh, civilization, and you mentioned that the minute that you start civilization, you essentially put in motion an arms race mm-hmm. of of securing resources so as not to be obliterated by the um, obliterated by the individuals who have adopted this civilization mode but I think maybe like within the first community that decided that they were going to, to do this or what did that look like and how is how is civilization maintained is maybe a worthwhile thing to talk about so I envision it being um, a process where people you know they they know that if they grow certain things they, they can save the seeds of plants that they like and, grow, and cultivate them in a certain way and get those foods and have those foods more often. Um, but I think, you know, you get into civilization and one of the things that Jensen talks about in his book is that, you know, this, this means of civilization is maintained through violence. And that's the only way that you get civilization. And I think what he means is, you know, you, you, you can spend many, 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 many hours growing the foods that you want but if you live in an environment that has abundant resources, and from from what we know, most um, uncivilized, uh, most environments not under the influence of civilization are tremendously abundant. Even, you know, environments in the Arctic are tremendously abundant in terms of food. Now, the diversity of life there is not as much, but even people like the Inuit who are, who, who are living there eat a much more varied diet than we do you and i do right now um mm-hmm. in that environment and so so it's sort of like you know you can spend all your time growing potatoes and corn and wheat and rice which is incredibly labor intensive mm-hmm. like incredibly labor intensive or you could go out and gather from the nut trees the the trees in season you know hunt one of the large mammals that are in your area and have enough meat for, you know, have enough meat for a very, very long time, months. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you can spend all of your time herding sheep 
and looking after them and making sure that wolves don't eat them. And so, like, I, I th- this myth of, uh, of people were like, oh, we can grow lots of corn. That's a really awesome thing. Let's keep doing it. I don't think is how we got the tremendous food production that we see, even in early civilizations, right? Because somebody has to do all of that labor to grow all of that food. It's backbreaking labor, especially right. without the modern tools that we have now, like irrigation and all these things. Like it's a lot of freaking work to mm-hmm. to completely subsist on agriculture. And so many people were like, "Fuck this! I'm not. I'm not growing. I'm not spending." 12, 14 hours a day weeding, planting, sowing, carrying water up to these areas. So why why did people continue? And I think the people continued because there was a ruling class that said, if you don't continue to do this, I'm going to kill you. Or you'll be ejected from the family. Or there will be <laughs> Yes, exactly. There will be blood. Um, and so I think that's how you that's that's how civilization goes from just a casual kind of growing a few of your favorite foods to completely subsisting on it. And one of the things, one of the trade offs of that strategy, yes, it's maintained by violence, or at least it's speculating that it's maintained by violence. But you have a fuck ton of food. Mm-hmm. But of course, that needs that food needs to be stored. It needs to be divvied up you know more or less evenly or according to person's labor it needs to be defended not only from other species but from other human groups that might want to share it um Mm -hmm. and so you you get you very quickly get these strict hierarchies of people that have to look after all of these different jobs to manage these food surpluses but one of the side effects of having a high food surplus is that you produce more human beings that's exactly yeah (laughs) <laughs> and then and then we have this arms race of like this perpetual sort of thing and then I mean and then you have a, a essentially a cancerous strategy of subsistence that in order to maintain civilization you need to grow you need to grow because your human population is growing your land base is growing because you you need to maintain these surpluses to feed the number of people that are going to be working for civilization. And so you need to conquer the lands around you to make sure that you have enough land to grow the food for the population that's growing to grow the, to grow more food. That's right. And I mean, at some point, I think civilization has moved beyond food being the driving currency into, you know, now we're just into power politics, for lack of better words, you know, you are it is still survival it is still subsistence but the currency of the day is not necessarily who's got the most crops but it's who's got the most global power who can who can concentrate the most wealth within their borders and effect have the rest of the world work for them right right yeah i mean i think i heard a fact that prior to world war one between just France and the UK, something like 70% of the world was controlled between those two countries when you took their colonies into account. And it's like, it's hard to imagine that you have for two relatively not that populous countries, 70% 
of the world's countries under one flags, you know, paying taxes, paying tribute, can, you know, sending wealth and, and crops and spices and jewels and commodities. That is what civilization is about. It's not, I mean, that's why I say it moves, at some point it moved beyond just food. Mm-hmm. It's how do I, how do I, uh, plant my flag at the top of the mountaintop in such a way that no one can ever take it down. Right. How can I maintain my hegemony? Yeah, that's right. So, okay, having said all of that, (laughs) go go back to my question. (laughs) Is it bad for us? (laughs) As, as As a species with the goal being to continue to exist. That's correct. I... (laughs) <laughs> okay, I I I will say overwhelmingly yes, even though I even though I, I I sense the the counterpoints and I sense that I probably won't completely disagree with them, but I think overwhelmingly yes. Um mm-hmm. every every civilization that's ever existed has collapsed. Yes, has catastrophically and a new one has risen from its ashes. Right, right, and so you know, and and rarely does rarely does a civilization last longer than three thousand years. There's right, a, there's a really great book, uh, A Short History of Progress, by Ronald Wright, that kind of outlines this idea of progress. Um, and so we keep failing at this way of living. Um, but we still don't ruin ourselves enough as a species that we can't recover and do it all over again. I do mm-hmm. think, though, that we're not we're we we're not necessarily locked in this perpetual cycle of of building to the point of collapse, collapsing, and then coming back. I think there is there is a constraint. Like there's a maximum level of collapse that we can sustain as a species. Um, but maybe not. Like if we, if human beings had figured out, had figured out space travel, mm-hmm. that that really changes the equation, right? In terms of our ability to sustain ourselves. But you know, if, if you look at if you if you look at for leading another ten thousand years, what's that? <laughs> until, for another ten thousand years till we clog that system too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think in. I think in my Ishmael, Quinn like goes through the mathematics of what it would take for human beings to to completely populate the known universe if we keep growing at an exponential rate, and it's something like three thousand years, which is just fucking mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I can't, you know. But, you know, if we keep doubling our population at an increasingly faster rate, you know, yeah. there, there, is, there is an expiration date or at least there is a maximum human biomass that we can occupy in this universe. Um, but, but leading up to the Green Revolution, there was a crisis in being able to feed human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were... As a as a global civilization, we were very concerned about our ability to to produce enough food through agriculture, 
And really, at, at, at that point, in the mid-20th century, there's really no other way to feed, at the time, what, maybe three and a half billion people, or maybe not that few, maybe like four billion people, without mm-hmm. without agriculture. Like, you're not going to, like, hunt and gather your way to feed <laughs> three billion human beings on the planet. Um, but we were, we as a global civilization were very concerned about our ability to even grow enough wheat to feed people. And then I forget the scientist's name developed uh, dwarf wheat, mm-hmm. which is the wheat that now dominates the overwhelming majority of um, food, at least in this country and, and certainly uh, globally. And it was a plant that had, um, you know, a high, nu- a high nutrient yield but required less water and less space. And so that revolutionized agriculture. And essentially we were able to kick the can down the road, right? And so it was great that we were able to feed the 4 billion people or however many people were living at that time. But that simply just allowed civilization to continue growing at the exponential rate. And so now we're at a stage where grain production hasn't kept up with human population, you know, in the last 20 years. So we're, we're still at that crisis point of, you know, can we continue? And it's always a worry about, in, in civilization, there's always a worry about, can we feed ourselves? Can we do the things for us that we need to do in order to continue as a species? And so we have collapsed and, and rebuilt and collapsed and rebuilt and collapsed and rebuilt. But at some point, barring a new form of energy that we can harness, we're, we're going to experience a global civilization collapse. Like, you know, World War Z type apocalypse, Station Eleven type, type apocalypse, um, uh, I Am Legend type apocalypse, where like, <laughs> you're going to have the overwhelming majority of human beings on the planet die simply because there aren't enough resources or because the environment is too contaminated. I don't necessarily even disagree with that <laughs> collapse. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think of, I think I've used this this uh, analogy before that things fail and fail and fail and fail until they succeed, right? Yeah. And so I always think of the civilization game. Yes, it all it always ends thus far. It always comes to crashing to a halt. And guess what? A new one pops up. So I think there's two <laughs> things I would in this question of is it good? First, is it inevitable? Yeah. So you know my we've talked about this, but for the sake of folks on listening, I believe civilization is inevitable. Regardless of whether it's good or bad. So mm. let's want to make peace with this idea first, because in essence the aggressor has the advantage. Mm-hmm. 
in this in the definition of civilized versus uncivilized uh, dynamics. A person who is willing to uh, overproduce and store is going to have a logistical and definitive advantage over an individual group of people who do not do such thing because that person will eventually, or that group of people, will eventually just crowd out and control enough resources and take away, due to the very fact of its unsustainability, the life, you know, drive out those that are living on a sustainable path. And so, yes, civilization always collapses thus far, and it always rises again because I imagine that in that split moment where you're at that fork in the road and there's a group that says let's do it this way and there's another group that says let's do it that way the people who chose civilization within a few years has that group who chose passivation working for them in their fields and so regardless of the right or wrong i do believe civilization is likely inevitable now is it right we all we grew up when video games didn't have the save button, right? <laughs> so, video games used to be an activity of play, 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 die. <laughs> From the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it is very possible civilization is very similar to this. You play, 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 die. You get to this a little further the next time. Maybe you get stuck at the same place over and over again for a while. You play, play, play some more, you get a little further. And at the end, you might just beat the game, right? So that is potentially the model that we have with civilization. And in essence, that is it any fun? Is it enjoyable in the process? Is there great calamity, frustration, and and anger? Yes, 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 and yes, but it very well may beget and beget a longer sustainability. So, like, I mean, always, I think we've done maybe I've done this thought experiment before. Let's say we lived a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, all of us, all across the planet. And there's no nowhere close to seven billion of us. Let's say there's a hundred million people on the planet, and we all live wonderfully lazy, happy, fat lives where we get to sit around and not worry, stress out about who's on, who's doing this report for work tomorrow. Yeah, well, we wouldn't be fat. No, we wouldn't be fat. Yeah, you, you only see fat humans in civilization. You don't see, rare, rarely do you see fat people in hunter-gatherers. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Good point, good yeah. point. Good point. <laughs> well noted, well noted. Yep. Uh, and then you have, you know, imaginary world number two where we are terribly overcrowded we're on the brink of world war we're at 10 billion people everyone the entire productive capacity of the world is searching for different solutions to the problem we put ourselves in how do we get off this rock Mm -hmm. likelihood of explosion you know political situation uh and you find out the earth that the sun is going to explode in another 10,000 years 
is the fact that neither party knows which of those situations or a meteor is headed to the Earth. Pick your disaster, or maybe it takes 10 million years, whatever the case may be. Which of these things provides us with the longest, you know, the most assured path or better chance of surviving and thriving outside and for perpetuity? Perpetuity, I think that's the word. Perpetuity? Whatever that. Yeah. Uh, And there's an argument to be made that it's civilization, that... Even though we may blow ourselves up in a nuclear war, we almost certainly will not eradicate everybody. And I guarantee you those glowing green people that come out of the dust 10 years later, they will get right back on the game. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and I, and I think they, they'll have to because the environment will be so, so denuded, I guess is the word. I mean... You know, like in a post-apocalyptic landscape, nobody's hunting and gathering. Um, you're probably going to have to grow the things that you need to subsist, or maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's that. I mean that that could be that there's just not enough time or resources to start growing the stuff, and the only thing that you can subsist on is what's produced in the environment. But that's interesting that you said that because that that scenario of like the ultimately the world as each sort of mode of humanity knows it is going to end unless they get off the planet, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the scenario where 20 years from now, which I think 20 years, maybe 50 years from now, there'll be 10 billion people on this planet. Maybe, no, it'll be less, it'll likely be less time than that. Um, We'll be in that situation that you just described for the, for the Mm -hmm. latter world, like brink of world war. If we don't have one, or two in between now and then, 10 billion people, resource stressed, and the only way that we're going to really survive is to either collapse back to a sustainable level um, or a subsustainable level or get off the planet. Um, but if, if scenario, so my question would be, would it be, well, yeah, would it be, would it be, quote, better for the hunter-gatherer people to live out their lives and enjoy their time before the sun explodes and consumes the world? Or would it be better for the human beings on the other world to get off planet and take that mentality and that modes of existence into the universe, right? So, like, it's the difference between... It's the difference between having a benign tumor just go away or having a cancerous tumor metastasize. And so from, from the species perspective, it certainly makes sense. It, it, it certainly the moral imperative is to continue past the sun exploding and destroying the world. But it's going to be that much more of a fucked up universe if those human beings make it off the planet and populate other areas. Because it's, it's like a cancerous tumor. It's malignant tumor metastasizing in the universe. You're like a virus. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. That line in uh, in the Matrix. Of course, there's no like Agent Smith didn't sort of turn the lens on himself and say like, yeah, well, yeah, the machines are, are a virus too. <laughs> you all are gonna end up doing just the same thing that your creators have done. But okay, so 
one of the things, and, and now we're going to get kind of woo-woo, like far out there, but one of the things that you see as a characteristic of civilization is a suppression of sort of creativity and... Um, I'm just trying to search for a word other than like free spiritedness, mm-hmm. but okay. So, um, sexual intercourse becomes highly moralized mm-hmm. in civilization. Drug use becomes highly moralized in civilization. Um, mm-hmm. Psychedelic drugs become highly moralized in civilization, um, and of course, all the food is under lock and key. And so, if if those three elements of civilization function more like they do in hunter-gatherer groups, then we wouldn't have civilization. If everyone was getting high, getting laid, and having plenty to eat, nobody would go to work. Yeah. And so civilization, in order to maintain the strict hierarchies, needs to control those means. And so, you know, women women's sexual fidelity becomes the utmost paramount and like you're an amoral human being if you are you're an amoral female if you are sexually promiscuous um all drugs are bad okay right like you know this whole debate about marijuana and i just saw a story the other day that uh uh cowboys rookie running back ezekiel elliott um was photographed by tmz uh, leaving a marijuana dispensary in Washington because the Cowboys were in Seattle to play the Seahawks last night. And like two days before the game, or maybe it was like hours before the game, he was caught leaving a marijuana dispensary. Um, you know, and like we're having this debate about marijuana being a, a gateway drug and it being really terrible and it being a Schedule One drug. And it's just absolutely absurd. None of the science supports it. But the reason why it's such an issue is because if people are getting high and if they're able to treat their trauma, treat their inflammation, treat their their pain with something that grows out of the ground, then the pharmaceutical companies lose their hegemony over the economy and over the population, right? And so that ha- those things have to be controlled. But what's interesting is that some, some people ascribe the development of human intelligence, and I'm getting to the point, or... <laughs> describe the development of human intelligence or ascribe the development of human intelligence to our partaking of psychedelic drugs. Our ability to take substances that expand our consciousness. Steve Jobs attributed his um, ideas of the swipe on his Apple devices and the iPhone to taking LSD. Right? Mm. So uh, there are these cognitive leaps in how we understand the world and how we relate to the world that are that have been attributed to something that is suppressed within civilization, right? And so hunter-gatherer peoples are getting laid all the time, they're well-fed, and they're taking lots of psychedelic drugs <laughs> on a very frequent basis, right? And so... But they're not making the iPad. <laughs> right, they're not making the iPad, but my... I guess my point is, and this is where it's like woo-woo, is that <clears throat> there, there may be something, there may be something that we can't imagine in terms of our ability to relate to the world and interact with the known world behind the veil or behind the gate 
that behind the gate of psychedelic drugs that were not allowed to pass through in large part in human civilization. And so, all right, now we're going to go way, way out there. Um, and this kind of stems from um, uh, Orson Scott Card's books, the last book, Children of the Mind, or maybe it was Xenocide, where he describes like the nature of reality in a way of like every human being or every organism is made up of these things called ayuas and that they always exist and have always existed and when an entity dies then that ayua or the collection of those ayuas passes back into the outside you know without time and when you know an ayua is able to hold an idea together then they blink into existence and when they die they blink out of existence okay and so What if those human beings practicing hunter-gathering subsistence, taking these psychedelic drugs, let's say one group figures out how to transfer their matter across mm-hmm. long distances just by having their consciousness unlocked and being constantly exposed to those sort of mind-altering drugs. And they figure out a way to transfer themselves and transfer their matter um, across those distances. And then they begin to do, they begin to explore the environment, the, the planetary environment of our solar system or the universe in the same way that their ancestors gradually explored the, um, the surface of the planet through migration. But in a way where they're not carrying this cancerous mentality of resource acquisition throughout the universe. I mean, that, I get, yeah, I mean, that's I, that's way, 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 way far out there. And I would say that that the opportunity to do that is worth it over this idea of having um, this cancerous body of humanity metastasize into the universe. That was a really, really, really long explanation. <laughs> no, you, it was a good explanation. Yeah. Now, to start off with, there were probably enough anarchists taking LSD in our screwed up, civilization-heavy world that there's still a chance that they can do that in a civilized world, go and make some mind meld discovery and take us someplace, maybe even have the best of both worlds kind of thing. I, I don't but, hold on hold on I, I don't know because because taking drugs I mean, like taking LSD I mean you saw like Steve Jobs his uh-huh. psychedelic his psychedelic experience was shaped by civilization right and so his mind was bent towards like I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that what fell out of his LSD trip was one of the greatest devices that's ever existed in in civilization. Had he been living in a culture where these things were not even on the the spectrum of what's possible, something else might have fallen out. And so I don't know that those people who are taking these mind-altering drugs within civilization are just as capable of thinking of these things as hunter-gatherer groups are capable of thinking of these things. So, 
I get okay. I get it. I like I I agree I grant that. Okay. Now, but back to your your main question of what's better, the <laughs> being a happy and healthy existence with yourself and with the world and all that around you, everyone singing kumbaya, <laughs> like squirrels come and drop nuts in your hands. <laughs> you, you pet the squirrel and you say go back to your tree. Uh <laughs> Versus us grinding out existence, the vast majority of us doing stuff we don't want to do, working to make other people wealthy, feeling resentful, blah, 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 as you say, having this cancerous mindset. I think it comes down to what is best for the individual may not be best for the collective, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we have this dynamic over and over again you know and they've there's that tragedy of the commons where an individual's actions will harm the 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 individuals and just to give a quick example of that if there's a epidemic coming uh say there was a zika a zika virus uh, vaccine that you could buy at the store but there's only ten thousand of them right so the idea of the tragedy of the commons even though someone who may not be pregnant or high risk or whatever runs out and buys the vaccine. Well, really, you're not the person that vaccine was made for. It should have been for the people that are more likely to get it. So therefore, the people who actually need it don't have it. They get the virus. The virus spreads to the bigger population even more quickly. Repeat ad nauseum. Everyone has the virus. Everyone dies. Blah. That's the tragedy of the commons. The actions of an individual... Uh, acting selfishly hurts the collective. Perhaps civilization is the opposite. Maybe it asks all of the individuals to suffer such that the overall organism of humanity, human homo sapiens, thrives, i.e. look at where we've come from the millions to the billions to potentially, if we manage to spread our seed throughout the universe, the trillions, right? The organism, and it's a scary thought, but the organism <laughs> success at the cost of the individual, the turmoil that might be that person's existence, you know, being ground out of this civilization system that spits out only progress, you know, of gaining more. Uh, perhaps that is the organism saying, you all are slaves to me. I will evolve at your expense. That is the possible answer, where uh-huh. it, 
it is not the individual's it is not in the individual's best interest or in his most enjoyable life uh, potential to spend it uh, in a system that is built to is a perpetual motion machine. It, that's what civilization is, but it does give the idea that we, as uh, as a species, as a as humanity, has the potentially greatest chance of survival as a whole by subscribing to this philosophy of always strive, never be content, because that's what it is. That's what if you had to boil down the motto of civilization: never be content. It has got to be at least an approximation of it. Always go for more. Always push harder. And we've come to think of this as noble, even as a sense, because it gives us a sense of justification for why we push ourselves towards these goals where we have had enough. But why do we persist? Because it's never enough. Well, that could be the overall motto that seeped into the minds of all of us that have subscribed to this theory of civilization. And the reason behind that is because civilization sees this as the tool for our own survival. So Mm. I do think civilization is inevitable. Do I think that any individual has a better existence? Uh, I mean, obviously, outside of the people who may not be alive in a post-civilization. But I mean, honestly, if we were to say, take a life of a post infantile uh you know aged person in a civilized life and a non-civilized uh, environment the level of life satisfaction reported would probably almost certainly be happy or you know more higher in the non-civilized person that's not discounting that fact but as what is if we took a macro view of humanity i still hold that our likelihood of surviving and expanding and thriving at least a little longer comes from civilization and that's the affirmative case (laughs) fair enough i mean i i don't i i think the likelihood of that individual or Okay, so you said the likelihood of that of of humanity. Did you say the likelihood of humanity or individual surviving, expanding, and thriving? Of humanity. humanity. Right. Okay. So i I think I disagree. I disagree that the likelihood of humanity surviving is greater in civilization, and I think that. The, the idea of expansion is something that the non-civilized human being would not even consider as something to strive for in the first right. place. Um, and then thriving, I think absolutely not. Because I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think that human beings are thriving under civilization. And I don't think that our prospects of survival are really that great barring some I was about to say barring some cataclysmic end to our world but of course we know that the sun is going to explode and consume the world in 5 billion years and so in 5 billion years is our, our is our best chance of continuing 
going to be through civilization or through um, or through non-civilization. But in five billion years, you know, Homo sapiens almost certainly will not be around at all. I mean, I, I, we will be a, we will we will have been many different species or a part of many different species between now and five billion years from now. Absolutely. Um, Although, I mean, we would never make it to five billion years for the sun to explode. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. There, there's there's the solar energy on this planet is going to be yeah. far too less uh, for us to survive. But let's say like in the next, I, I, I don't know what levels of energy input to this and to the planet would be too much for us to even live. But let's let's say a billion years, right? Mm-hmm. We we can yeah be, before all life is extinguished Other on this planet. Too, I mean disease. Think of meteors. Think of there's lots of threats. Right. Extraterrestrials. I mean yeah, I mean <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I mean and so it you know it depends on the extra extraterrestrials that find our planet. I mean maybe. Maybe there is a group of extraterrestrials that have made it off of their planet that are not civilized in the way that we under you know the way that we're currently living now, and they are a product of the hunter gathering group that made their way off planet, you know, in a way that um, doesn't destroy the environment. What are they going to think if they come here and see humans living in the way that we're living? They probably wipe out all members of civilization and leave the hunter-gatherers on the planet mm-hmm. and be like, we did it this way, and you're clearly destroying yourself, so we need to get rid of all of these human beings that are practicing civilization. I mean, and the other thing with, like, disease, we are we are increasing our risk of some sort of pandemic through civilization. Like, that is increasing our risk to survival. Just by sheer no- just by sheer human density and so like the the number of different cultures that existed in north america so from you know alaska northern canada all the way down to the yucatan peninsula um you know was twelve thousand or uh, 1200 different peoples and mm-hmm. that's that's the best estimate that i've seen based on a a, a guy aaron carapella who is a an a member of a native tribe that I can't, I can't remember what uh, nation he belongs to, but he, he was doing this like citizen science thing where he was, he, he, he's built these maps um, that locate the different groups of people across what's now Canada, the United States and, and, and Mexico. And just the diversity of cultures that you see that are there, right? That do include the Maya, that do include you know, the Cherokee, the Seminole, the Shushan, the Ojibwa, all of these different nations, but just the diversity that exists there of different cultures um, is tremendous. And now we've got we've got one culture in North America. Yeah. You know, save the... I mean, certainly in the United States, there, I don't think there are any Native peoples that are practicing a hunter-gatherer way of life. We have... Uh, Native Americans living on reservations, but you know their their land bases are so um, denuded that they have to participate in civilization to some degree in order to just survive. 
And so from a diversity standpoint, we, we have vastly reduced our ability to respond to environmental change um, by civilization. So we're increasing our disease risk. We are reducing our drastically reducing our diversity, not only our genetic diversity, but our cultural diversity, which are able to respond to ways that the environment changes. Um, and we are destroying our land base. And so I think in Yeah, I, I, I don't think that we are, I don't think that civilization is increasing our way, our, our ability to survive because we only have one way to survive. We only have one response to the, um, the many challenges, the many environmental challenges that exist. Well, I mean, this is, you know, it goes back to, I mean, it would take... It seems separate, but it's related. Go with me on this. Global warming. Yes. Talked about this before. And I do not believe there's a snowball chance in hell that we are going to get all of our acts together, hit the brake button, and slow down our role as a world uh, to get our resource problem under control. Maybe we can... I guess at the end of the day, we may slow it down slightly, but we are not reversing what we have done. Yep. We will continue to pour, in my opinion, we will continue to pour carbon into the atmosphere and we will continue to warm up our planet and we are going to be forced to deal with the consequences. And the only hope, in my opinion, is to batten down and go faster and pursuit of technology because the only thing that we've ever done as a civilization is just keep hitting the gas pedal and that's gotten us it will you will keep going until you hit a wall and then you start over again the collapse and repeat but the only hope for instance in my opinion of global warming we are so far down this road there's no turning back and going you know convincing everyone to live these sustainable lifestyles that will help if some people do it, but as a whole collective, our in our system of civilization is not built on that principle, and it's going to be too disruptive and probably, with this many actors across the global stage, too hard to implement. But what you could do is rely on what benefits uh, civilization can bring, which is the pr- ability to produce novel ideas, novel products, novel technologies that can kick the proverbial can down the road that new technology will come with its own problem that will then cause to build up in our world system and have its own issue and we will live happily and expand as a population and think everything's fine for another 50 years until we have discovered that thing has caused its own new problem and we will have to repeat the cycle over and over again similarly as we said in the beginning and I don't think anyone can disagree with this civilization and wilderness and our natural environment move in opposite directions. So yes, we are, when we expand civilization, we decrease uh, a wilderness and our, our natural environment. And so, yes, we do not promote genetic diversity. We destroy our natural landscapes. We introduce some natural, uh, uh, dangers such as disease and pathogens etc but the main benefit that we get out of this all is this for lack of a better word t- 
technology, innovation, this thing that has the promise to expand our lives into different areas that we've never been. Now, is it good for us on the whole? Like I said, I almost argue that's irrelevant as in, I mean, as an individual, I almost argue that's irrelevant as a whole. You got to look at the metrics that have happened in the world. So let's say we were in 20,000 years ago, maybe our population in the earth was in the order of tens or maybe a hundred million people. If that, and you look at, you know, the average lifespan, even for a fully grown person who's made it past infant mortality, you know, we're probably talking 60 or so years old. I mean, unless you've heard different numbers, but we are now looking at generations that are likely to live 120 years old by the time they die. We're at 7 billion people. And we are, we are in literally in our lifetime discussing possibilities of getting off planet, discovering new worlds, blah, blah, blah. It is hard to underestimate the potential that, that civilization has brought as far as expanding this virus that is us <laughs> even further into the future. Now, granted, now you, you brought up another point, right? Let's say in a million years, let's take it on a relatively small evolutionary scale, a million years from now, if, you had, if we had somehow figured out how to live a hunter-gatherer's life on Earth, Let's say, worst case, we were still on Earth living that hunter's gatherer's life. We'd be, for lack of a better word, content. But let's say a million years, and in the next 10,000 years from today, we had gotten off planet, figured out how to expand. You could easily see in a million years us being in the exact same situation, universe-wise, <laughs> that we're talking about now, Earth-wise. So that is the biggest uh, detractor. I know I'm going against my (laughs) pro-civilization thing, but to me that is the biggest detractor from the civilization mindset is that you literally are always just delaying the inevitable, which is collapse and on what level of scale and how bad is it going to be this time. And so in that sense, even though you expand quickly, you have the ability to try something new that you may not have had the exposure to had you been a hunter-gatherer. In the long term, it's the tortoise and the hare, potentially, where the hare speeds ahead, gets up, but then gives it, it peters out. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know the answer. Yeah, I, I want to go back to something that you said about wilderness and civilization moving in opposite directions, and I and I, I I think I think it makes more sense to say not that they move in opposite directions because civilization is ultimate. I mean, like indirectly dependent on wilderness or independently dependent on our land base, and so mm-hmm. I don't think that they are two things moving in opposite directions. Civilization is a wilderness eater. It's a wilderness destroyer. And so yes. I, I think the, the, the equation of kicking the can down the road, I think, definitely holds. But the reason why I don't think that civilization is positive um, is that I, we, we, are, we are essentially spending our land base, spending the, 
the production that exists without human beings down. Like we're mm-hmm. it, it, there, there is a given level. Like we've got a million dollars in that bank, and mm-hmm. hunter gatherer people, uncivilized human beings, have been more or less spending that amount at replacement level. Right. And so it's an account that's a million dollars and it earns 10 percent interest. And hunter gatherers have been spending more or less 10 percent of of that total that's there. Human civilization is like, nope, let's max this out. Black card, charge it to the game. (laughs) And so and so I think the only way we make it off planet is if we figure out some technology that allows us to run away from the debt collectors that are coming. <laughs> yes, that's right. And and so I yeah, I mean so that's why I think that civilization is ultimately not positive because as you pointed out, eventually the debt collector catches you. Yeah. And you know, you can't keep you know, you can't keep making the the vessel in which you leave as <laughs> you escape the debt collector. Um, you know, faster and faster. And I hate to make this analogy because the cartoon is like deeply problematic, but it's like Pepe Le Pew and the and the and the cat. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Which is just like a horribly, horribly it's a horrible cartoon. Like it's a horrible yeah. cartoon. But <laughs> You know, the idea being that this cat who always manages to get a stripe painted on her in some way is pursued by this, like, really rapey skunk, um, no matter what. And she runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And and Peppy is always, you know, just bounding, do-do-do-do-do, and he's taking his time because he's like, I'm going to get you. So, you know, would it... And then now this analogy is really going to go sideways. But like, would it be better for the cat to keep running, or would it be better for the cat to just kill Peppy Le Pew? Because <laughs> he's not going to stop, right? right? And and so like thinking about how how non civilized human beings build resilience against the strategy of civilization. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta nip that. You gotta nip that shit in the bud, like early. But you know, how do you yeah. do that, right? And so, yeah. You know, if even even if the um, even if the Native Americans here, as soon as they saw Europeans hit their shores, murdered everyone because they uh, knew what was coming. I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe assuming they had that capacity. Assuming first. they had that capacity, which. Of course, they didn't, and this what this is what makes, I think, the aftermath of civilization interesting. And one of the valuable things, and I can't believe that I might be actually sort of agreeing with you at this point, but maybe one of the values of the collapse of global human civilization is a realization amongst the survivors, which I don't think is necessarily going to be the case. That the minute they come across a group of humans who are trying to practice civilization. Try to reason with them and say, like, no, this won't work. And if they don't, then they just murder the shit out of them. Because there's no, there, there's no recourse, right?
civilization won't once once it takes hold, it's not going to. People aren't going to just voluntarily give this up. You can't give it up. You, you can't give it up because you don't know. But and we we were kind of talking about this earlier about what a different what a different either alien species would be or a um, or a human species that evolved from Homo sapiens, Homo something else. Um, how they would subsist, and if those individuals had a mentality of like this whole thing is really messed up, could they coexist? Mm-hmm. And had I don't know. I wonder what all indigenous groups of people. I wonder what they would have done if they had known that the outcome of them not repelling the advancing march of civilization would be their extinction. I wonder what they would have done. But we now, like some of us now know what, how the story ends. <laughs> yeah, we know how the story ends. I, I mean, I don't think it could, but that's where it comes down to, I don't think it could end any other way. What's the inevitable part? You know, like, let's say that you told every indigenous tribe, hey, these people are gonna, they're gonna be the end of you. Which I'm honestly, I'm sure that message got around. Oh yeah, it, it, it definitely did. <laughs> uh, it wasn't in, in, there are examples of people who went out fighting, right? But it's, the end is the same. I mean, I don't think that civilization is a juggernaut. It's a snowball that got pushed down a very steep hill. There is There is no arresting that development. So... Right, I mean, it's one of these things, right or wrong, it's, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think that it's, so the inevitability of civilization, I think, has two, two sort of issues, right? And so, is it, is it inevitable that civilization would have existed prior to it never existing before. And I don't know that it would have, but I think once it gets started, its existence, of course, is inevitable because nobody's going to... Those who are li- who, who reject civilization probably don't... probably don't and didn't have an idea of the level of depravity that those practicing civilization would stoop to to maintain it right the 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 things that human beings have done to each other in the name of progress and civilization and the maintenance of um certain groups power is just so horrendous it's it's ridiculous and this is where dune is really interesting the later books and the Bene Gesserit, who are constantly talking about, you know, how horrible some of the people that live in that universe far in humanity's future were. And, of course, the Bene Gesserit are this group of kind of mystical women who who have the memories of members of their order that date back to the dawn of humanity. And the Bene Gesserit are always fond of saying, like, you think this is bad. You didn't, yeah. you didn't know Caligula. You didn't know, you know, Christopher Columbus. That was some horrible shit that people <laughs> did. And so, you know, indigenous people, when they're confronted with civilization, I think, you know, at least in the past, it's hard for them to imagine 
what these people that were coming to them would do in order to dominate the landscape. And so you, it's hard to create a, a horrible act of just killing someone outright because of the way that they live without having direct firsthand visceral knowledge of what a person is capable of. And so like, you know, the, the, the people that Christopher Columbus encountered when he first came to the Caribbean, um, I'm sure had no concept of like the essentially Ramses Bolton style yeah. horribleness that was going to befall them. Yeah. So, you know, of course they're not going to just like slaughter this dude, although that's what they should have done. It's like uh, uh, Bean growing up in Rotterdam in the, the, the series where he meets uh, Achilles for the first time and like looks in his eyes and he's like, you need to kill this kid because he could yeah. see how terrible this guy was going to be. But of course, Bean was too small to do it. And he couldn't convince the other kids to kill Achilles. And then, of course, you know, many, 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 many people die because Achilles, there will be there will be blood because Achilles was allowed to live. So anyway, um, so I don't. I I mean, I don't know that civilization coming into existence was inevitable, but. In the end, that doesn't really matter, right? As you said, it is. It's here. And so... Yeah, I don't... But I don't know that it's, its maintenance is inevitable. I don't, I don't know that its existence... I don't know that its existence, now that it's here, must continue. And this... Honestly, this is the point I want to end on. I want to end on your vision of what you think it could look like and if you have this ability how would we get from <laughs> here to there what it could look like in terms of like the, the scope of humanity no I mean let, let's say we I mean let's start with the vision of what it should look like mm -hmm. you know I mean there's some big broad strokes less people <laughs> yeah you know like you know, I'm not going to fill in the rest of it but you know like what do you think the broad strokes of a modern, non-civilized society could look like? And how do we get there from here? <laughs> now, you know I all don't think this is possible, but yeah. I would like to hear what you think could be possible. I don't, I don't, I don't know that what I'm about to say is possible either. Um, especially when we talk about like if we if we talk about if civilization had been stamped out every single time it popped up then um then i think we we would i don't know it's it's i mean like it's it's really hard to imagine what it what it would look like i mean there there would be far fewer people um our our environments would be so much more diverse than they are right now in terms of life. Um, you know, there, there's stories and accounts from early European contact about what North America looked like in terms of just the abundance of food and wildlife and, and those sorts of things. Um, I, th I think 
humans in general would, would be a lot healthier. We'd be we would certainly be taller. Um, our skeletons have human beings practicing civilization. Those individual skeletons have gradually become less dense and shorter, including our brain. Our our skulls have gotten smaller. Our brains have gotten smaller. Um, so like we're shrinking into some what I can only assume is a bunch of golems <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of fat golems um, so you know I, I mean I, I think human beings would just be would would look physically more imposing would be much healthier in terms of like our levels of technology that's where I think it becomes that's where I think it becomes really difficult to, to think of what would exist in comparison to what exists now. I would say that I think whatever technology would would exist um, had civilization been stamped out um, would be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So if we had something that resembles an iPad, it wouldn't be something... It probably wouldn't be something made out of plastic. Or if it were made out of plastic, we would have some net or sort of more net positive way of manufacturing and disposing of those things um, so I don't know in terms of getting from where we are now to that lar- uh, that completely uncivilized human landscape we're, we're at a peak mm-hmm. right and the only way to get to another peak or another mountaintop is to go down. We can't fly across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have to we have to go through a regression period. And a regression from a from a civilized person standpoint. And so and I'm having this discussion on a forum with some other folks, and I think I told you about that forum. It's really frustrating for two reasons. One, because um, I don't have the answers that many of the folks who I'm debating about civilization are looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm primarily at this stage, and I think I can articulate fairly well at this stage, that we are locked in a prison, a prison mm-hmm. for our minds, <laughs> to quote mm-hmm. the Matrix. <laughs> um, and what, what, I want, what I want from people when I have this discussion is, this, is the admittance that we actually live in a prison and that civilization is on an individual level really terrible and most likely on an aggregate level terrible and that the shiny bells and whistles that we have that are a part of civilization aren't a net positive they're a net negative and they're a result of our disconnected um, nutrient poor depressing sleep-deprived, undernourished, malnourished environment. And that most of the cool things that we have in, tech, in, in terms of technology are a response to how fucked up we're living in comparison to our biology. Um, so I'm trying to... In, in that sense, I, I would like people to realize that... To let go of the myth of the positivity of civilization or how positive civilization is. But in order to get off of this really messed up peak that's essentially an active volcano that is set to blow because it's blown every single time 
we've done it. I think we 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 have to we have to bioremediate our environment because if if we were to walk away from civilization right now, and there's a really good book um, called "The World Without Us" by Alan Weissman, and talking about what would happen to the planet, what would happen on the surface of the planet if human beings all of a sudden disappeared and just left everything behind. much of the planet, much of the terrestrial surface of the planet would be uninhabitable. Like anyone living east, anyone living in or east of like Houston, Galveston area is going to die unless those systems are maintained. Like all of the oil refining processes that are there, if those, if that, if, if that technology is not maintained, you're screwed. If you live east or within a certain radius of a nuclear power plant and it shuts down, it's going to melt down and you're screwed. And that environment is uninhabitable for hundreds, if not thousands of human generations. And so if we are going to move away from civilization, we can't just walk away. We need to clean up all of this shit the best we can. And the things that we can't completely degrade, we need to store away somewhere and then like nobody touch it. <laughs> so like all of the nuclear waste and so we, we would need to spend generations probably generations bioremediating the planet shutting down all of the power plants shutting down all of the mining operations shutting down all of the and so like how do you do that mm-hmm. you can't <laughs> because you need technology you need the technology to shut those things down because the environment huh? what's that I didn't say it, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, like, if people are going to do all that work, then how are you going to feed them? Because they need the food energy to do it. So... So, I, I, I see. So the, so, the idea is, well, we can't, we can't remediate, and just walking away is going to cause a tremendous amount of problems, so let's put our foot on the gas and technology our way out of this. Put your foot on the gas. <laughs> like, and it's like speed. <laughs> we can't slow down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, in all honesty, I think to get down that peak, the, the only cha- the opportunities you have, and I'm stepping away from playing all pro civilization. Yeah. yeah. The, you have is in that catast- catastrophic event of collapse. Yeah. You know, we, we're big fans of Dune. You've got to feel it, a collapse so severe, you feel it in your bones. It has to be a, co- a lesson that is so widespread. Let's say that we do, God forbid, blow ourselves to bits with nuclear weapons. You guarantee the, sur- the small band of survivors that would walk out of that the dark night that they would live through would teach them and their descendants the dangers. They would have a long time to think of how we got to that situation. And that is the glimmer of hope that you can have is that in that moment of collapse and despair, people will learn a better lesson than what came before them, right? Instead of picking up the video game and trying to beat the level, saying, why am I playing this video game that's just making me so upset? Yep. Walk outside. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, uh, 
a lesson that becomes instinct. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know that that those who walk out of a nuclear apocalypse would have the lesson that civilization brought them to this or just nuclear weapons brought them to this. And so would they build a civilization and just be like, anytime somebody is suggesting, hey, let's start messing around with these subatomic particles, then they're like, no, anything but that. <laughs> but that's, that's all you can do is hope, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the moment. If there is a moment, it's then. Right? Oh, this is depressing as fuck. Uh, because, like, before this conversation, I had some hope that I, I I sort of had some disconscious, subconscious hope that we could make it down the peak, not without <laughs> suffering, but that we could make it down the peak and over to the other side, um, like, voluntarily. And that still may be the case. I mean, maybe there's, like, pockets here and there. So, so maybe... Like if we had a wholesale switch to renewable energy, <laughs> that might buy us enough time. But of course, we would have to accept levels of. Okay, I'm gonna try to cheer myself up a little bit and talk about like the focusing more on local communities, right? And like, you know, the bumper stickers. I don't know if they have them in Russia or where you've been, but like, be a locavore. Yeah. Uh they don't have them here but yeah, yeah. i've seen it <laughs> yeah so i mean possibly you know if there's like a more focus on sort of attempting to build the these replicate communities of these tribal familial relationships amongst people um and of course not completely depending on everything that you need from your land base but having a shrinking radius of land-based dependency around you. Um, maybe that's a way to get down the peak. And so instead of, you know, like people building or people putting solar panels on their house and maybe building a local infrastructure. Now, of course, energy companies are fighting that tooth and nail, right? Because they don't want people putting solar panels on their house um, and taking advantage of the infrastructure and certainly, like, if you built, if you tried to build a community of just solar panels somewhere out, you know, off the grid, one, you need enough economic resources to do that. Two, you, you know, like, all of these things have to fall in place. And so only the rich, relatively rich people are able to build those communities. But, again, those folks who are on the outskirts of civilization, essentially those who choose to run to the hills, um civilization is eventually going to come for them because civilization continues to march on so it always does <laughs> uh, human civilization is literally the board it is the board <laughs> exactly it is the board of what civilization is made out to be that people don't even know what the alternatives are. Yeah, I've, I've had very many uh, frustrating conversations about that sort of thing and just the idea that 
Well, just the idea that civilization is the Borg or that this way of living is a prison. Um, and, you know, you have people arguing the virtues of civilization or the, the you know, the economies that exist or the technologies that exist, um, arguing their virtues, not because those things are great, you know, on balance, they're, they're, they're great or that they're neutrally great, but be, because they are essentially arguing against a realization of the alternative. And it's mm-hmm. like the Matrix, you know, the people who who fight against those who have unplugged from the Matrix are not doing so because they believe that their enslavement and um, and the, the marginal benefits that they receive are good. It's because the thought of waking up terrifies them. Yeah. It's like Harriet Tubman said, you know, I freed hundreds of slaves and I would have freed hundreds more if they if those that I didn't knew they were actually slaves <laughs> and you know every time I have almost every time I have the conversation with someone about civilization where they ultimately come to reject my ideas they always want to know well what what's the solution what's the alternative and it's a valid question but the answer is I don't, you know, like I, I can't lay out, you know, a path down the peak because I don't really see one. Um, and then it's also it, even if I did know, I sort of hope that neither you or I ever figures out like a way down the peak. Yeah. Because then, and going back to Dune, like we're hopping all over <laughs> sci-fi, but. You know, the quote of, of Muad'Dib is like, the problem of leadership is ultimately who will play God. Mm-hmm. And so if you figure out a way out of civilization that liberates people from their misery, you ultimately incur, you have to vehemently fight against the, the human learned tendency to fall into a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And in actuality, what we need is not one solution or one way down the peak, but we need many. And that requires people to say, this is messed up and I'm going to figure out a way to live in differently that makes sense for me. I'm going to wake up in the Borg machine and figure out a way to escape. And that the more minds that we have going towards this task, it's not necessarily the more likely we're going to figure out the one way down the peak, but we're going to figure out different ways down, down this peak. And so the first step is, is recognizing that we, that civilization is not nearly as good as we think it is and that it is so much the cause of our problems as a species, as we confront global climate change, as we confront hunger, as we confront depression, as we confront violence, as we confront all of these things. I see them as a product of civilization, if not something that's exasperated by exacerbated by civilization. You know, I just had a thought about 
we talk about this almost like lamenting the way humanity used to be. And that's, I think that is the right, I mean, that is the way we're looking at it, right? You know, we saw us as having been free and natural and sustainable, etc. But I started thinking about that, this as, what if this is really like the Borg, where this is a, the transition period between us having to let go of our previous human, and this is not a good thought, but it is a thought. What if we are letting go of our previous conception of humanity and we are literally designing ourselves, our humanity, our literal genetic makeup, you know, think of all the drugs we take, think of all the integration. It's not hard to think of the soon-to-be integration of technology to humanity where we change everything about ourselves such that it fits into the system better where we literally for lack of better words become a slave to our own progress and to this own system of our own creation we aren't going to be what we used to be we won't let it because we won't be it right yeah so sort of like the Borg the Borg as they exist in Star Trek um, are where we are almost literally looking at our future, right? That's right. And so, yeah. Borg themselves are not unhappy. It's the people who are going to be made into the Borg. Yeah. See their past as what they want to be. Yeah. That's the struggle. That that is a that is a terrifying thought, or an, uh, not a terrifying. It's an unpleasant thought, but it it's an odd sense of <laughs> an odd sense of clarity because it, it. I mean, the the path from where we are now to the Borg is not hard to imagine at all. And I guess I guess that's why we you know like science fiction, good science fiction is so compelling. Mm-hmm. Because it's ultimately about humanity. I mean, it's ultimately about humans, and it's really ultimately about humans in civilization and kind of like what are our potentials in the future. Um, but yeah. Ugh. Mm. Borg, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there you have it, my first conversation about, my first explicit conversation about my thoughts on civilization with one of my good friends. And I, I would say not not the first conversation that I've had about civilization, because I've had many, but the first one that is kind of out there. I've been really nervous to have this conversation because of the implications of what putting these thoughts out there would be for kind of just my day-to-day interactions, my job, um, and the work that I do, which is very much a part of the machine that is civilization. Um, But in truth, uh, I sort of exist on a spectrum of valuing my work 
for my for selfish purposes and for the purposes of making connections with other people and seeing other places and thinking that it is completely a waste of life. <laughs> uh, I don't think that I have any noble illusions about the work that I do making much of a difference in turning back the tide because in principle my work is about making civilization um, less negatively impactful for other species. Um, but, you know, I fly across the country, I travel, I live in a house, I consume fossil fuels, I consume agricultural products on a scale that is not sustainable. Um, also that I can maintain the very specialized job of studying other species. Had I, were I to spend time more directly connected to subsistence, um, the things that keep me alive, then I wouldn't have the time to study <coughs> the species um, that I do now. Um, so an abandonment of civilization essentially means abandoning um, the work that I do now. And if the only way I'm able to do the work that I do now is to participate in civilization. Am I really making a difference for those species? And so I see the work that I do and the work that many people do in indirect conflict with the prescribed goals of bettering humanity, uh, ultimately bettering humanity and expanding knowledge. So I don't know. I say all that to say that I'm, I've been nervous to get these sorts of ideas on, on tape and to share with other people. Um, and also because I don't think that, that I've expressed myself, you know, in the, in the most articulate manner. And this has been a work in progress of trying to put these words together and communicate them in a way that is, uh, easily understandable so that people can really decide, people really understand what I have to say, um, and decide whether or not they agree or disagree. Uh, I'm sure when I go back and listen to this, a year from now, six months from now, I'm going to cringe at how poorly I stated different ideas uh, and what I should have said. But, you know, this is something that I'm filled with. These ideas are something that I'm filled with that I have to decant, that I have to let go, I have to share, I have to... They have to exist outside of me. And, you know, I'm thankful for the people in my life um, who help provide that outlet um, and who I can bounce ideas off of and, and talk about. And so it's going to be a theme for the podcast moving forward. Um, and maybe has been a theme of the podcast, you know, more subtly. Uh, maybe you listeners have picked that up. Um, but Anthony and I, I mean, Anthony is the first person that I began having these conversations with. Um, and, and so I, I figured that, you know, having, having us talk through them would be a good starting point to broach this subject. Um, but, you know, I've had this conversation with lots of different people to varying degrees of, of, uh, satisfaction, I guess, on my part and varying degrees of frustration as well. So, um, this is only the beginning of these sorts of ideas um, 
but I think it's a good starting point. And hopefully this generates uh, further discussion. And hopefully if there are other people listening to this who have these same ideas that we can connect and continue to build this community of people who are at the very least willing to critically interrogate the prison that is human civilization um, and admit to the fact that it is and that there there have been alternatives that exist there are alternatives that exist and that there is potential to create alternatives that don't yet exist um, but that are in direct opposition to human civilization as we've defined it here and maybe a way forward to jettison some of the chronic um, maladies that come along with living in human civilization, if such a thing is possible. But, you know, as Anthony and I talked about at the end of this episode, one has to at first, one has to first admit to um, the entire nature of civilization and be willing to consider alternatives. It doesn't do any good to one think that human civilization, it doesn't do any good in thinking about different ways of living or thinking about solving our fundamental issues um, to just accept that civilization is a net benefit. I think it's, it's inarguable that it is, but that's the first step. Um, and a step that I rarely make it to a point of agreement with um, people that I have these conversations with. But the second is to begin to allow that realization that fundamentally the way that we live in civilization is a net negative for every human being, whether or not they live, they're living in civilization or not, and a net negative certainly for other species and the processes that sustain life on this planet. Once you admit that, it's, it's difficult to live in exactly the same way that you have been, um, which is why, um, you know, I've begun to live in a different way, although, the, you know, it, it's incremental. Um, and I don't think that in any way the way that I am living and attempting to live in opposition to civilization is at all making some sort of net benefit overall, but it is allowing me the space to explore alternatives, which I hope to pass on to um, not just my biological children and my peers and, and people in my life, but to, to other people and providing that framework so that it, we can stimulate a path towards a path down the mountain in other people and people not only and people seeking out the path that works best for them and not just the path that other people are walking um, so building a community and building a network of individuals who are looking to get off the mountain rather than those who are looking to climb up the mountain stay on top of the mountain or deluding themselves that they can fly from one peak to another um, without you know 
without consequences. So that's where we're at. I hope that you all uh, enjoyed this episode um, and uh, look for more coming soon on B-Side. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another B-Side Conversation. Got a question, comment, or an idea for a show? Send us an email at bsideconvo at gmail.com. That's bsideconvo at gmail.com. In the meantime, make sure you're taking the time to be curious about and listen to the people you encounter in your everyday life. Remember, the B-Side is as close as that unfamiliar person standing next to you. Ugh. Hmm. Borg it is.